0: Good morning slash afternoon slash evening. Welcome to the Cowboys and Rice Podcast, a perfectly passable China Africa Podcast. I'm your host, Winslow Robertson, and I'm joined by our co-hosts, Lena Ben Abdallah, a PhD student in international relations at the University of Florida, and I Ting Wong, our resident China Sustainability Specialist. Lena, how are you doing?
1: Doing well, Winslow. Thanks for asking. There was the APSA conference, which is the annual political science association conference this weekend.
0: And so I uh, just got back. Fantastic. Unfortunately, Lena uh, had very little sleep, so Mm -hmm. she is really working hard and dedicating herself and sacrificing for this pod, to which we really appreciate. And
2: I'm sorry
1: about the voice,
2: which
0: you know. Understandable. Eating. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing very well. Enjoying the rare nice weather in the fall here in Beijing.
0: And any any plans Mm -hmm. to sneak off to Hangzhou for a, a live viewing of the G20?
2: I think by the time I get there, it will be all <sighs> over.
0: Maybe next time. Actually, if anybody from the G20 is listening, we're happy if you sponsor this pod and fly us out for like a live session. Mm-hmm. Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, African Development Jobs. African Development Jobs, a site run by Nino Duru, seeks to connect development workers professional development resources and work opportunities in Africa. On a quest to help diversify development, it highlights the voices and issues of Africans and the diaspora in the field. It is also the best site for finding employment in the development field in Africa, that I know of. The G20 Summit, an international forum for governments and central bank leaders of the world's 20 largest economies, is being held for the first time in China on September 4th and 5th. Because China is the host and assumes the mantle of the G20 presidency, its government has an active role in crafting the summit agenda. The theme of the summit focuses on three core concepts, innovation, integration, and inclusion, And the areas of priority include the implementation of the Paris Agreement on Climate Change, which, I should note, was just formally adopted by China and the U.S. on September 3rd, creating and implementing entrepreneurship action plans, as well as supporting industrialization in Africa, which is of particular interest to this pod. There were four African countries participating at the summit, and many side meetings between Xi Jinping and African counterparts. Africa's industrialization is a topic that China insisted on putting on the summit agenda. To talk more about the place and role of Africa in the summit and the role of Af- China-Africa relations in shaping China's leadership for the G20, we're bringing back to, the God, uh, back to the pod Dr. Sven Grimm. Dr. Grimm is a political scientist who has worked on external partners cooperation with Africa since 1999. He is a senior researcher and the coordinator of the Rising Powers Program at the German Development Institute, the D.I.E. in Bonn. I I never know, I'll just say, the D.I.E. in in Bonn. Yes. (laughs) Since 2006, his research has focused on emerging economies' roles in Africa, and specifically China-Africa relations. He obtained his Ph.D. from Hamburg University in 2002 with a thesis on EU-Africa relations. He has previously worked with the London-based Overseas Development Institute, and he was the former head of the Center for Chinese Studies at Stellenbosch University in Cape Town, South Africa. Dr. Grimm, welcome back to the pod.
3: Thank you very much for having me.
0: And we are recording during the G20, and we would be remiss if we did not mention a little incident that happened involving a plane and a stairway, and I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the incident and its significance. Reading about it from the American press, I couldn't figure out exactly what happened. The plane lined up, the stairway... There was no staircase. There was no, there, yeah, automatic. the staircase, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah, so happened. there was no staircase, and then the the official wouldn't let people pass the blue
3: um, rope. There was some kind of spat with Susan Rice as well and some shout-ins about this is our airport and our country, uh, about security and where you could walk and where you couldn't walk. Uh, I think Obama played it down very nicely and he played it down in a way that it also gave a little bit of a side kick to the Chinese and saying, well, look, there's lots happening and it's very busy and so you might be overwhelmed in your logistics. Uh, in that, I think also uh, in, a, in a subtle message, you're not quite there yet. Again, I don't know if he intended to say it, but I think that's what also came across. Yeah. Knowing Obama, he intended to say it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Probably did. And he did it very nicely and very charmingly, as per usual. But uh, the,
1: <laughs>
3: the, the message was heard, I think. <laughs> it's good with a
0: passive, aggressive, cutting remark delivered with a smile. Yeah.
1: That's very true. That's very true. Uh,
3: I think it's a little. <laughs> a little spat to the side and it's not a major issue but it became such a big issue I think what potentially is a coverage, media coverage is so big because it is uh, very much about symbolism and G20 in itself being club governance and being a meeting, a forum with very little formal decision that that they can take is a lot about symbolism and so these little things matter for the German media for instance it was important that Merkel met Erdogan to the fringes uh, at the fringes of the of the G20 and the other meetings to the side so these little things supposedly little things also matter how you overall assess the G20 uh, a really important line
2: and Dr Suen how does um, i guess media in Europe in general described um China's role in this G20 I
3: think it's l- the, the key thing is china is a very important member of the g20 it's a very important economy of the globe it's uh, a rising power and it is the most uncontested rising power if you want maybe it's already an established power so it's big it's important the agenda of china matters but i think the coverage of the summit was best summarized by the uh, German news portal, the major German news portal, that says, we, we've we got to talk. And I think that sums it up very well. It's, a, it's talking to each other and exchanging experiences, and it's also trying to respond to crises. And that's where the G20 actually comes from. But it's an exchange of experiences nowadays and more or less a, a, a question of, Broader perspectives, long-term perspectives, trying to get the global economy onto a certain track or keep it onto a certain track, which is very much the task that the G7 had previously. And Mm -hmm. having realized that they don't have that much clout anymore, uh, particularly during the global economic crisis, that was very quickly expanding a previously finance minister meeting to a summit and then trying to get other big players of the global economy on board.
1: And speaking to that uh, <clears throat> aspect of exchange and being the platform for talking and exchanging, how is it, um, so what does China bring new to the table being the leader of the G20 this time in terms of, in terms of what do we, in terms of exchanging um, experiences and, and knowledge about international development and about you know, financial integration and all of that?
3: Uh, first of all, it's China. So that, as I said, it in itself is already meaningful because it's a, a rising power that is second largest economy. It's massive in, in its own ambition and in its weight in itself. Um, it is in a phase now that we have obviously passed the global financial crisis and – trying to get the longer term perspective on board and then it matters whether the the host is a sizable economy or not because the action or inaction of China matter globally to a much larger degree than I don't want to be picking on different members of the G20, Mm -hmm. they're all collectively important but Turkey is a smaller chunk, Australia is a smaller chunk so the previous presidencies were smaller in size, China now is massive and substantial in itself and the different topics that bring, were, uh, are being put to the table by the host matter. They are the crystallizing points for discussion. But to some extent, there's also a an undercurrent of what's what's uh, happening and who, where do we look for solutions of mm-hmm. uh, of the global economy? And if you look at the different members at the table, the U.S. is an election in an election year, so there aren't massive input for the long term this year from the US, can't be expected. The EU is in crisis, um, Brexit, So sorting that mess in Europe basically means they have to focus inside. Latin America is in a massive uh, economic crisis, so there are lots of crisis spots and current issues going on, and, and China in that setting appears to be relatively Stable and relatively a heavy weight that that tries to put certain things forward.
0: That's a, a really interesting formulation of the these other countries and other regions. The, the EU is is the twentieth member of the, the G 20 South Africa is the only African member as well. Yes.
1: Mm, yes, except that there were a few more attending on the margins, right?
0: China is able to shape the agenda just by. To the fact that it's not facing such upheaval or uncertainty, which is really convenient for China actually good job good, good it job has, choosing 2016
3: uh, it, it has its own internal challenges. The Chinese are not free of challenges. they obviously are concerned about their growth um, and trying to get the world economy. Picking up speed, obviously, is also a domestic agenda for China, and it's it's not so much the choosing; it's different baskets, regional baskets. Whose uh, whose turn it is, and Germany is going to be next one, and after that, it's uh, uh, Argentina. Argentina. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, for the African participation, that's interesting. I think that G20 is sort of continuing a tradition that the G7 started at some point with an Africa outreach or an outreach to other regions. Uh, If you want, and now Africa is the the big little represented uh, geographical entity, if you want. Uh, South Africa being the only African country, it means no other African countries there. Uh, What the G7 always has done, or for a long time has done, is inviting uh, heads of regional organizations uh, be that the African Union, be that NEPAD, uh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh-huh. and other entities and probably um, regional organisations. But you currently, for this summit, also have the Senegalese pre, um, prime, the Senegalese president there, as he's uh, representing
1: NEPAD. Mm-hmm.
3: Exactly, mm-hmm. you have the Chad, uh, Rep- yep. Chad president, as he's EU. the um, mm-hmm. chair of the AU. So that outreach is actually a tradition that the G7 has started. And I think it mm-hmm. somehow also illustrates that there's a bit of a uh, the g G20 picking up on that that G2, G7 agenda. And the G7 hasn't vanished, mind you. They're still there. Mm-hmm. They're just not big enough to, uh, to push the global economy if you want.
2: Right. Well, so I think when G7 or 8 emerged in the 70s and 80s, they represent at least 85% of the world economy. And today G20, it would take the 20 countries to um, to amount to that same percentage. Um, so I guess, um, yeah. So it's it's I think it's a normal to to have a, sort of this this G20 platform to um, or trying to make it to really represent more of the whole world whole of the world. Um, at least, I think it's a message that the person Xi and others probably have tried to emphasize. It. It's just not the 20 countries, and it's all of the world.
3: And it's important to emphasize that because the G20, just like the G7, uh, suffer from some shortcoming of legitimacy. Who's appointed them? Who's selected them? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have... As you said, it's 80% of the uh, global economy, 80% of the global population. But there are also large economies that have not been included for some reason or the other. Uh, one of them, a European country, is a permanent guest, if you want, uh, Spain. Uh-huh. Um, they, It's not very diplomatic to say that. They pretty much invited themselves to the first summit. Uh, claiming that they are also large and important and therefore they are now hanging on to Mm -hmm. the summits and also are sitting there. So the legitimacy question is a big one for all club governance. I think and this is club governance. They cannot take formal decisions other than binding to themselves.
1: Though in that regard, um, what do we expect? What's the ideal outcome of a G20? I mean, if uh, bearing in mind that this does not have any any implementation mechanisms it does not have any i mean I, I mean by that enforcement right mechanisms um, w- what do we hope to see from the g20 engines? what's the ideal outcome
3: uh, I think it is some commitment by the economies the global large economies uh to act for the greater good. And it is Mm -hmm. a commitment, Uh, so trade barriers shouldn't be um, eradicated. Uh, The major question, I think, a long-term question is sustainability. That is becoming more and more urgent. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a challenge for all. And what are those countries doing about it? How do they pursue the Agenda 2030 Sustainability Goals? Um, how do they transform their own economies? What are the steps they're taking and how can they learn from each other? And I think in that, that basket, that's the expectation that we should have and could have. And that's what I would measure the results against.
1: Now, it's 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 kind of interesting because, well, obviously, China has had a good uh, amount of, over a decade of experience in um, conducting development projects, uh, not only in the region, uh, regionally, but also in Africa, Um, And so uh, my question is, um, is China really in a position today uh, with the symbolic and the status and the prestige of a power that's uh, going to be on the side of the table that shares experiences with other powers as to how to conduct international development projects and not learning from the experience of others? I mean, China, can we expect this G20 to be the moment for China to set the norm, to set rules of the game, to be a doer, not just a follower?
3: I think to some extent that is, um, describes the aspiration of China itself. <laughs> we are at eye level, we are mm-hmm. at that big table, we do coordinate an agenda, we might in some instances even set the agenda and push a discussion forward, but we are at we are eye level with that size and I think that's why the, the Chinese put such an emphasis on the on the G20 and on the G20 summit and have so big aspirations around it. I mean the, the reporting of our, in our German media also was very much about the preparation in Hangzhou and how the um, factories are closed down or shut down and holidays are um, ordered so that it's uh, also a good scenery, a good setting and the the big picture and the good picture is not disturbed. That's the one side. Mm -hmm. But the other one is very much the political emphasis and this political cloud that you want to project to the world as well. Mm -hmm.
0: It should be noted, though, that the U.S. and China did just sign the uh, formally adopt the Paris Agreement for climate change. I, I mean, that's not necessarily because of an agreement at the G20, but in terms of symbolism, that's really significant. It is, yes. And um, those are really important optics. And and good job, good job, China, for for managing that, for for effective stagecraft.
2: Yeah, I think they pretty much called an emergency meeting for the People's (laughs) Congress to ratify, (laughs) um, symbolically again, (laughs) right before the the summit. Um, Mm -hmm. But Uh, yeah, that uh, was, I think, excellent leadership by the two countries, for sure.
3: And I think for the timing, it comes handy that the executive can actually order the National <laughs> People's Congress to, <laughs> to sit and have a decision. So that helps. Piggybacking
0: on, on that question, that theme, what are some of the challenges and opportunities facing China as it tries to reach these global agreements? Not just in, in terms of international development, as Lena alluded to, but um, more more broad agreements uh, on in, regarding international trade or even cybersecurity tricky issues that might be discussed
3: it has several um, i think several dimensions there uh, one is on the issues one is more on the way you reach agreement Um, The issues, I think, are largely challenging to China itself in terms of its development model and having to change the development model. Is that a modernization or is it a complete change of the economic system? If you look at it from the sustainability angle, Agenda 2030, it basically is a change of the economic system for everybody. It's not a question about market economy but about sustainable economy. How do you get from what we have now to there? major issue in terms of content. Um, security might be something where you have different understandings, different angles to it. Um, but the the challenges are also in terms of reaching an agreement. As I said, it's a club governance. It's not formal rules. There aren't any votes. There's no uh, – nothing – That has prescribed mechanisms of how to reach an agreement. So it's a major economic effort, uh, sorry, a major diplomatic effort to actually understand the agenda of all the participants, to build bridges from between the different positions and come up with a communique, a line that actually can be agreed on by everybody, because that's the only way that the G20 carries weight, that everybody then says, okay, this reflects what we have said. If you reach that, at a level that it still means content and is not watered down to just nice, uh, wordings uh, and, and non-edgy wordings, if you want. That is massive. I mean, that's a, that's a massive challenge. And I think that's where the host of the G20 actually does have a lot of, uh, Influence in a very in a very non tangible way, if you want, and a lot of a high, very steep learning curve about different agendas there. Mm.
2: Um, but it is perhaps ironic that you know right in this club, uh, China has been a strong advocate for greater representation of developing and emerging countries at um, key decision making tables, or perhaps in some ways seeing China as representing these interests from, you know, the uh, calling itself the biggest developing economy. Um, you know, so so and then the term global governance um, has, I think, both to external and internal audience in a very in, to internal audience in China. I think it's been the new words that she uh, likes to use a lot Um and then actually, it has mentioned that it's it's not intention to start new camps, start new institutions, but to really reform and be active in reforming the existing systems. Um, so yeah, but I guess do you think um, do you think it is making a change um, to the extent that it has um, you know touted to?
3: It's clearly also playing to an external audience and playing to those not at the table, projecting power, as I said um, before, but it's also positioning yourself as part of the global south and not just saying uh, we have emerged as an industrialized country, which China wouldn't say and wouldn't claim yet, but actually say we are the global south and we do have weight now and we can add that. It's interesting that the the um, point is not to create new institutions because I mean that's what the Chinese policy has been about in the last years to quite quite an extent to the degree that some authors have written about shadowing Western institutions. The African Investment uh, Infrastructure Investment Bank. Well, we do have an Asian Development Bank. Uh, We have a World Bank. Uh, We have the New Development Bank, and so there are different institutions that are being created also to put pressure onto the existing system to reform itself and to give emerging countries a greater say. It's it's a bit of ba- playing both sides, I think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Dr. Grimm, how, in your analysis, does China's Africa policy fit in with China's view on, views on multilateral cooperation and global governance? And... Does China's Africa policy also fit in with how China presents itself to external audiences?
3: Um, that's a very interesting uh, question, I think, a very good one, because there has been a discussion in the past about what how does Africa fit into China's policy in general. Is it the arena or is it the addressee? So is it a genuine concern about Africa or is it basically using Africa as a stepping stone to have a larger global say? And I think there's actually – different times would give you different answers. It has moved – definitely has moved if it ever was. has moved past the mere um, – it's not just an addressee but it's also an arena. Let's put it that way. It's both. Um The multilateral cooperation and global governance questions have been relatively new to China. I mean the default operation is bilateral, one-on-one, China and another country. However, in terms of um, dealing with Africa, I think what's always been uh, on the agenda is not just economic interest, one country and China, China and the DRC, China and Zambia – but always, and also explicitly on the Chinese side, to support in multilateral organi- institutions, not least to the United Nations. So every institution that has one country, one vote. Um, and it has this idea of we have to have partners in global governance. And we do position ourselves as the global south. And that's where our partners are. Uh, and I, I think in that setting, Africa is quite important in the Chinese foreign policy also when it comes to global governance.
0: Any ghosts of the UN vote to replace Taiwan with China and Africa's importance in in that regard. But in terms of these one country, one vote systems, is that something that is that an actual dedicated Africa policy that we should maintain these relationships with African countries to, to still represent the global south?
3: I think that's definitely in the, in, in the mind of the policymakers in China. Taiwan and the, the swap between Taiwan and China, mainland China, certainly is. But you also have uh, the post-1989 um, incidents. Because Africa's friendship. And Africa's friendship helping um, or actually preventing an isolation uh, in, in the international community through that
2: I'm talking about um, the emphasis of this G20 on African industrialization and, and, and bringing broader development benefits to um, you know, the glo- rest of the global south, more equal distribution um, you know, What do you think are the key pillars of um, this G20 and the discussions that will actually help deliver these um, talks and not just rhetorics?
3: I think the the key point first of all, if you say the the global South, you would have to very often fill in uh, China because it's also own interest, and you're trying to create a gro- broader constituency to foster your you promote your own interest. It's not exclusively that, but I think it's a large element in that. Mm-hmm. And then the, the major question for me is which uh, which organizations, which forums do you want to push it for? You can have that discussion in the G20. You can have it in the communique. But if you really want to achieve progress on, say, trade and investment and openness of economies, you would have to go through existing organizations or go bilaterally. But if you if we now talk about organizations, you have to then get uh, movement in the WTO, for instance. You have to get movement in other forums. Uh, the G20 itself can do relatively little other than discussing an issue and putting it in a communique and have so, try to create some consensus around it or at least find the issues that you have a consensus on and identify those areas where you would have to have further discussion. That in itself is a major point, I think, and it's it's good that we have that forum. Um, because that discussion and that agreement on where you have agreement and where you don't have uh, agreement is, is actually very necessary. It makes for very complicated and sometimes very twisted expectations because people feel that the G20 should do something, but they're not the club that does something. They're a club that agrees on something that needs to be done. Um,
2: well, it, it I think it tries to... Um at least, you know, on surface, gives hope, right? I think this one it talks about um, the the limitation of uh, fiscal policies of um, you know of the central bank's ability to really uh, you know bring back the economic uh, momentum, um, and talks about again, in I think in the in the wave of nationalism and anti free trade. Um, sentiments all over, um, the Western world. And I think, um, it's, it's a really uphill battle, I think, for China and, you know, to, to talk about reinvigorating global trade and, and investment. Um, and I don't know, you know, to some extent, whether these will be the real cure of, um, the, um, you know, inequality that this model of development has, um, brought about. Um, So I don't know if you actually, you know, see anything that China does differently that may actually represent something different this time, or, you know, again, this is just reinforcing conventional economic development models.
3: Let me start the other way around, or rather a very brief question is I do not – necessarily see a very distinct Chinese model or a very distinct Chinese activity that is different from what everybody else does. But it's uh-huh. important to put that in, I think, because we do actually see some movements, as you've said, some movements towards more nationalization, the anti-globalization urge. And that goes back to the the crises that I've mentioned um, Within the EU, the Brexit discussion is understood very much as a reaction to globalization and by those who feel like um, they are lost out in globalization or they have little to gain, much to lose from it. Um, Populism, populist parties across Europe, same element. You see that in the the rhetorics of the US election campaign as well. So the leaders – All of them are making a statement of don't ring-fence yourself. You you can't handle the global economy by yourself. Uh, You can't ring-fence yourself from the global economy. And there are global challenges beyond economic challenges. I've mentioned sustainability that we all have to address and we have to address pretty urgently. And nationalization of issues is not the answer. And I think in that they're actually – They're good in phrasing it that way. But we have to remember, and that's, I think, the strong emphasis on the fiscal policy and the central banks, that the G20 originally were uh, a meeting of central bankers and finance ministers. And so they operate on two tracks, if you want. One is very much the finance ministry track and where they discuss the technical issues in inverted commas. And then you have a Sherpa track, which is very much the summit and linking to the leaders, the Sherpa track where they discuss the broader issues of structural policy, of uh, global challenges, and that includes security, that includes sustainability, and so on and so forth. So those two issues happen in parallel, and that to some extent also determines the agenda and the communique, which then has a strong bias towards the economic and financial questions, because that's where they came from. And also in terms of the summit, they were lifted to a summit level at the height of the financial uh, global financial crisis. And so that's the legacy that the, that, that the G20 work with. And they've actually been very good in this crisis management, but uh, the question now is in terms of without the immediate crisis, we have lots of creeping and slower crises that are Undercurrents, if you want, uh, not so much in your face like the global financial crisis. And how do you tackle these undercurrents as well? And what are the what are the issues again? As I said, that you agree on and those that you still need to discuss a bit further. And I think in that setting, you can understand the G20 and what they are doing. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, maybe an outlook question, um, since Germany is going to take over the presidency um, as of November or December. Um, so I wonder if you have any expectations and hopes on how the German presidency will um, take on some of the uh, existing agenda or, in, or what might be new also with Germany.
3: Um, that is to, to us as an institute, it's is quite important because we are part of the T20 process. This G20 mm-hmm. is having a number of forums around it. So the Women 20, the civil society 20, business, 20. business mm-hmm. 20, exactly. Mm-hmm. And there's also the think tank 20 that's there since the Turkish presidency, so mm-hmm. since last year. Um, and within that think tank grouping, um, the German Development Institute and our partners in Kiel, the Institute for Global Economy, create that or are in charge of that uh, T20 process. For us in that, and that's, that's the angle that I'm coming from, for us it's actually important to have some continuity and some broader strands that you discuss, that you continue discussing and developing further. The G20, as I said, this club, is very much setting issues by consensus, and then the, the chair can put some issues on the agenda uh, i I would see um sustainability and g twenty uh, sorry sustainability and agenda twenty thirty to be still on the agenda the, the g seven framed uh-huh. it as decarbonization commitments. How do you discuss <laughs> that in the g twenty And there are a lot of uh, issues that are set by the Sherpa track, and then there are some issues that we as think tanks think should be on the agenda and more long-term. And I think those are that's the balancing uh, part in it. Africa, I think, is a is a very good um, point on the agenda. And the question then is, how do you work with Africa, not Mm -hmm. so much on and for Africa, but with Africa, and on which issues and What are the points that the G20 then can contribute to the debate? Again, not being a formal institution, not having any decisions to be made. But this outreach to Africa and the issues there is important, um, both from a perspective of tackling challenges, but also from the perspective of where growth might actually be in the global economy. With all the other elements and crisis, Africa is and has been for the last years uh, some uh, has been one of the regions with growth from a low starting point but still there is growth and there are some chances and opportunities here for uh, also for the global economy that needs to be addressed so that's an element I think that should come in there as well and that the German presidency should also pick up um, and Generally, the continui- continuity in discussion is really important. I think that's where think tank can can play a role as well, pushing an agenda a bit further, thinking long-term, thinking ahead.
2: Mm-hmm. Any of that happens, we're sure to hear from you again.
3: I, I would hope so, me or my colleagues who work on G20 as well. And uh, it is for us a major endeavor to to engage in that process until... Mm-hmm in a very short G20 presidency because the uh, summit in 2017 will already be mid-July in July 2017 mm-hmm. because we have elections coming in Germany in autumn.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Do you think you'll actually be at the G20? I don't know, and I doubt it because the G20 itself is very much the leaders' summit, and that's where the head of governments uh, meet it's more a the question for us is more the t twenty process or different other forums that we try to put in there. We will certainly try to feed into the process, but physically being there i I do yeah. not really see that happening because it was actually it would actually make the the summit even larger and even more challenging in terms of logistics than it already is. Not to speak of missing red carpets for that reason, uh, but I think in general it's a practical matter, and we try to obviously try to feed into the process. But physically being there, I am not so sure. No, Hamburg is my hometown, so I might be in Hamburg at the time, but for different reasons. <laughs> good, good to
0: know. All right, I think with that we can move on to recommendations. Unless anyone has any final queries, no, I'm good. All right, Dr. Grimm, what do you recommend for our listeners?
3: I think the uh, as I said there the are elements that basically builds on the elements that I said that are good and, and worthwhile pursuing. Sustainability as a discussion makes sense to discuss it in the largest economies because that 's where large impact has been felt so the long term perspective, the goals that you have there, Agenda 2030, uh, and trying to exchange on experiences on that rather than pushing the agenda itself. You have the UN for that, have different organizations there. But exchanging on what are your domestic and your international experiences on that in that um, group of people is an interesting one. And that will certainly include uh, some continuity in in the Africa outreach and inclusion of African issues into the agenda. Besides, and those things, those two things, besides the more immediate ones to keep the global economy on track, to prevent global financial crisis and so on, but I think the major gain is uh, the global economic and uh, political power around the table to discuss long-term perspectives. It's a very fine line to not recommend this as a global as, a, as the government of the globe, so to say, the Empire's <laughs> Council. And I don't think that that is what the G20 should be or can be. But thinking and sharing experiences is already helping in that regard. Uh, amongst Within the entertainment program that the G20 uh, leaders enjoyed in Hangzhou, there was a sort of a medley of different songs from each of the countries. And uh, it was interesting to see what the what the song was from the U.S., The title of that song was Speak Softly. Uh, Was it Speak Softly, Darling? Speak Softly, Love, I think. The theme of. uh, um, uh, Now it escapes me. The title is Speak Softly, Love, and it's the theme from The Godfather. And I think this speak softly, love, sends a subtle message as well. I'm not so sure it's intended, but it certainly does.
0: I I did not know about that. That that is fascinating.
3: I actually don't know what they chose as a German song. I would be very curious about that as well. I didn't find that.
1: That's amazing. Wow. Of course, we're also reminded of uh, speak softly and carry a stick too, right?
0: I mean, it speaks softly. The first thing I thought about, oh, that's 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 you know Teddy Roosevelt. That's that, that's
3: like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's, that's softy that, carry big stick. That's probably what the American that, that's, what I, that's, that's what I hear. That's right. uh,
0: It's terrible, it's terrible. What are these people thinking?
3: It
0: is. Oh.
2: Speak softly, softly and find your own
0: carpet. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> And we at Calories and Rice have one group recommendation, which is a Chinafile conversation. What can we expect from China at the G20? And generally, uh, we don't make recommendations for things that we actually produce. But Lena was a part of this conversation, but she didn't produce it. So I think technically we're not breaking any of our rules here. And it's a fantastic... Conversation with a lot of experts, too many experts for me to actually name, talking about different aspects of China and the G twenty. So if you want a definitive discussion of China's agenda setting role for the G twenty, look no further. It's long. I'm not gonna lie. So if you have, it's definitely something that'll that'll take some time to look through, but it's really really fascinating and. Has.
1: Yay! <laughs> I, I'm,
0: I'm happy that China File is reaching out to you for China-Africa expertise.
1: Yeah, and the interventions are pretty short themselves, and so it's
0: not, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, the actual meets of the discussion is a, a couple of paragraphs by each expert. There are just a lot of experts, mm-hmm. very many. All right, well, Dr. Grimm, how do people find you on the Internet? Do you have uh, a website or a Twitter account that you would like to share with us?
3: Uh, you would find the General Institute's website under www.die-gdi.de. And there's also always a file on the G20. So, on that specific issue, you would find more um, by different colleagues there as well. Uh, and my Twitter feed is uh, grim-sven. So, that will also be forwarding and um, sharing uh, discussions with colleagues and particularly on G20, China, Africa. Mm-hmm. and some of the uh, european issues as well so it's that's three topics and if you want to in that excellent excellent lena how do people
0: find you
1: i'm also on twitter so my handle is at l b e n a b d a l l a h so that's alban right. and
0: you have been as always putting up great uh china africa Tweets using the hashtag SinoAfrica
3: and mm-hmm. always a pleasure to follow. Right.
1: Thank, Thank you very much, Winslow.
3: Indeed, very helpful. Yes, <laughs> I can agree to that.
1: Oh, thanks.
0: Your check is in the mail, Dr. Grimm. <laughs> <laughs> Not from the Brexit. <laughs> no, Lena Le- 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 Le can't afford that kind of publicity. Eating, <laughs> <laughs> how do people find you?
2: I, I'm on Twitter as well, uh, less prolific. Um, as it goes, I have to go over hurdles, of course, as you know, um, to get on Twitter. Um, but I can be reached at um, Dow of Pool, D A O O F P O O H, um, and also we have a new, um, uh, a, a new, I guess a. Uh, uh, Radio or um, podcast outlet in chinese it's the Shimalaya Ting. Um, so for Chinese listeners out there, I hope those this will be an easier access um, for you and um, also for you to enjoy the the meaty contents in English.
0: thank you so much for that plug yes, uh, eating has been heading up our our pod outreach for Chinese audiences along with two wonderful I'm gonna call them interns, Lily Guan and Winnie Wong, and Yi Ting. We very much look forward to all the great all the great content you're gonna be sharing with our, our Chinese audience in ways that aren't hard to access in China. Uh I myself can be found on Twitter. My website is at Winslow underscore R, and I tweet about a lot of China African news opinions arcana. And Essentially, I just try to find interesting stuff, but I haven't been as prolific as Lena this week, so Lena, good show. I can also be found on uh, cowriesrice.blogspot.com and www.cowriesrice.com, and the latter site hosting uh, my, I, I don't know if it's fledgling, but my China Africa consultancy. And that is about it for today's episode. We would like to thank Dr. Grimm for joining us this afternoon from Germany. As well as African Development Jobs. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Double Twist, iTunes, and Shimalaya. Is that how we say it? E-ting?
2: Yes. Uh, so, so it's Chinese pian, um, but it's the, Him- the Chinese pian of the Himalayas.
0: I thought that was it.
2: Himalaya Radio app.
0: Fantastic. We, we are also teaming up with WTND Community Radio from Accom, Illinois to share a podcast. Our interns are Winnie Wong and Lily Guan, and we are so lucky to have them as we try to push our pod into Chinese media spaces. We would also like to thank Mighty Mike of Pulse Recordings, although he might have been signed by Interscope, for composing the theme song. And thank you, dear listener, for giving us your time. Take care.